Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Today's episode focuses on the hymn, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. That's hymn number 10 in the Pondra New Hymn Journal of Trust and Confidence. We're focused especially on the words from the verse, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Ebenezer comes from Hebrew for stone of help. The story of this Aben Eitzer is found in 1 Samuel 7. That stone of help caused us to seek out a rock expert. Pastor Matt Hine is being installed this coming Sunday as senior pastor at New Life Community Lutheran Church up near Flint, Michigan. Matt's a dear friend of mine, and he also has an advanced degree in geoscience. So he knows geology and theology, and we're glad to have Matt on the Next Step podcast today. I'm actually hoping to attend and even preach at his installation, but here in the Rosso household, we've had some people who've been sick. Their symptoms aren't exactly COVID, but they're close enough that we've had to quarantine and get tested. So I'm waiting for test results to come back to give me the green light to go and preach at my good friend's installation. After a brief introduction, you'll hear me pray, and then Pastor Matt's going to read the verses found on page 97 of the hymn journal. We'll look at several different stories of rocks in Scripture, including Joshua 4, 1 Kings 18, and I'll even mention Ephesians 2 briefly at the end. Pay special attention to the faith experiment that begins on page 100 this week. It's a way of helping you tell your story, and when you tell your story, you help other people be on the lookout for where Jesus is active in their life too. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here as we take a next step following Jesus together. Pastor Matt Hine joins us on the Next Step Podcast today. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Justin. Good to be with you. Hey, it's so awesome to have you here. Uh, tell me, where in the world are you today? Huh. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm sitting in a bit of a, a place of transition, going between Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, the Flint, Michigan area, just, uh, just about to, to start working at a new church, following Jesus with some, uh, some new friends up in the Flint, Michigan area. Yeah, congratulations. I think next Sunday is your installation. Yeah, it is. New Life Community Lutheran Church. Awesome. And and how's the weather there in Ann Arbor and Flint? Man, it is hot. It feels <laughs> like we should be in Texas or something like that today. Um, it, it is Michigan weather for sure. It was cool a couple days ago, and today, uh, today we're back to summer. Yeah, it's really been up and down, and uh, that's a part of the joy of the Michigan summer. So, th- hey, thanks no. for joining us today. So glad you're here. Please let me begin with prayer, and then we'll go right into our reading for, for today. Come, Holy Spirit, and bless us with your presence. Open our hearts and our minds, our our eyes and our ears to your word, this word that you inspired. Will you please inspire our hearts now, too, that we might understand it, and and as we chew on it, savor it, and swallow it, and digest it. Let it be a blessing to us and a delight to our hearts. Thanks for being with us, Holy Spirit. Now, please please be present in our conversation, and, and bless this time to our benefit and to your glory. Amen. All right, so we've got First uh, Samuel chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 6. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We've sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to Yahweh, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. 
he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, that is, Stone of Help, saying, Thus far, Yahweh has helped us. Hmm. Thanks, Matt. Hey, uh, this time through the text, was there anything that particularly jumped out at you? Yeah, I think uh, I think the big thing here would be just how uh, utterly dependent and helpless the Israelites find themselves on Yahweh. There was this talk about panic among the Philistines. It almost seemed to me like there was mass panic in the beginning amongst the Israelites. It was this <laughs> kind of this kind of big turn, and, and it's all because of of what Yahweh does. But but none of it happens uh, because of them. It's it's complete dependence. At least that's the first thing that stands out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I see that too. I see that in what they say to Samuel, do not stop crying out to us. Yeah. <laughs> please, please just keep praying yeah. for us. We yeah. need it. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. 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 And definitely the victory. Uh, what What was the phrase? The Lord thundered with a loud thunder. Yeah. yeah. It threw him into a panic. Yeah. This is definitely God stepping into human history to save yeah, you know, right away in the beginning too, I noticed uh, we've sinned against we've sinned against the Lord. Mm. They they were actually confessing, so they're confessing, and then there's this kind of panic moment. And um, I don't know, it just that, that seems big to me when it comes to kind of dependence on on Yahweh. Uh, this this kind of confessing the lack of dependence, mm. uh, the sort of pride that can creep into a community, uh, whatever it is, but it comes from that confession into this great moment of rescue. That seems big. Yeah, that's good. Uh, confession is admitting our desperate need f- for Jesus. Uh, you, you can't confess your sins and, and ask for forgiveness unless you're willing to say, I can't do this on my own. They start the day with fasting and confession and in that dependence walk into this battle where Yahweh is going to fight for them. And, and he shows up. I yeah. Mean, he shows up in a big way, which, you know, makes it just makes me think about think about myself makes me think about the people that I worship with that I follow Jesus with I wonder wonder I wonder how much uh, expectation there was they're crying out to Yahweh to save them like like did they actually expect that it was going to happen in such a, a mighty and powerful way and it makes me makes me wonder gosh when I when I confess do do I expect Yahweh to show up and what does that actually look like in my mind yeah I hadn't thought about that before hmm yeah that's good I, I was just noticing that the Philistines are drawing near to engage Israel in battle, and Samuel is making a sacrifice. <laughs> so he right. doesn't even look like he's doing the right kind of thing from a human perspective. He's he's not leading them in, in a battle charge. He's not planning right. where the tanks are supposed to attack. He's, he's got his eyes focused on the relationship with God and independence. I think in this text, Samuel is expecting God to show up. Maybe he's he's getting the people to come along with him too in that expectation. Yeah. Well, it's not the it's not the only time it happens in the Old Testament, is it? I mean, there there are other prophets who are kind of doing similar things. Samuel, I think, in other places is doing something similar. He's he's worshiping, he's sacrificing, he's praying. 
when the people are, are doing something else. Yeah. Um, and that I think that's significant. Or, or Moses, I, I think of the time when Josh was holding up the prophet's hands. When, whenever, remember that scene where, where whenever that Moses like stopped praying, his hands came down, yeah. then the Israelites would start losing the battle, and then every time he raised his hands in prayer, they'd start winning. I mean, time and time again, really, in the history of God's people, it was clear when they're taking the promised land, for example, that Yahweh was fighting for them, mm-hmm. stepping into human history to save. Yeah, and even even in that, Justin, the uh, the idea that someone is there to hold you up, Yahweh's working through Joshua for Moses' sake and for the sake of the people. I mean, there's that dependence coming through, and it's not always in the you know the mighty kind of thundering roar like through the the Philistines into uh, to panic. I mean, that reference you just gave it was actually a person, right? Somebody in the community mm-hmm. through whom Yahweh worked. That's that's big too. Yeah, I think there's a real communal aspect to this whole First Samuel 7 story here of, of Ebenezer. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'd like to get into that a little bit more. But before we do, why don't I go ahead and turn the page. We're, we're just on page 97. I'm going to turn the page to page 98. And let me let me go ahead and read this devotion. The devotion is called, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, which of course is a quote directly from the hymn. But it relates to that passage from First Samuel 7. The day started in repentance, with fasting and confession, with sacrifice and absolution. God's people wanted to return with their whole hearts, and God's prophet helped bring them back into relationship with the God they had abandoned. The day ended in a military victory against a superior occupation force, a victory that clearly and unquestionably came from God's own hand. To remind God's people of that day, and perhaps more, to remind God's people of God's mercy and faithfulness and power, the prophet sets up a memorial stone, Aben Etzer, Stone of Help. Like a milepost, it signifies the distance God covered to save his people who didn't deserve it. Like a historical marker, it points to great events that took place on this very spot like a tombstone. It recalls the life and actions of a real person. Everyone who passed by that stone would know, my God lives and has done great things for me. You could raise an Aben Eitzer too. God has brought you this far by faith and God will keep acting in grace to bring you home. You have mileposts, bread and wine that show you how far your God has come to save you. You have historical markers, God's word of life acting on this very spot. But most of all, you have a tombstone, a stone of help rolled away from the empty grave of Jesus that promises your tombstone will also one day be obsolete. My God lives and has done great things for me. And so that idea that God is active in human history, uh, we've got these this idea of mileposts and historical markers and even tombstones, that, that there are these places where God shows up and we remember and memorialize those places where God's present. Matt, you are a pastor, you have a Master's of Divinity, but I I happen to know you also have another degree. What's your other degree in? 
Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a degree in geosciences, which means a, a whole bunch of stuff that we we won't get into now. But uh, it has led me to some some very interesting places around the world, and really for me has been I guess uh, you know before becoming a pastor it was really an outlet for adventure and discovery and a love of creation. Hmm. So so geosciences, and where did you get that degree? Through Central Michigan University and through uh, through a place out in New York called Binghamton University. Hmm. Well, fire up chips. Yeah. How did you make the turn from being a geology guy to being yeah. a pastor? How, how did that How did that happen? If I may ask. Oh man, yeah. Long, long story made short. So I, uh, I I love the outdoors. Uh, you know that we get we get to fish together every once in a while and. I love God's creation. I care deeply about preserving it, uh, deeply about um, un- understanding its its beauty and uh, how it uh, it's a gift from God. What I realized uh, through my time in, in geosciences is that I, I loved to uh, I loved to help people kind of understand more and more about creation. But that was uh, that was a little bit of a kind of a, uh, a I don't know a manifestation of what I've come to understand is a, a love of. Uh, of teaching, but also coaching people, helping people uh, kind of figure out what it is to take a next step in following Jesus. Hmm. You know, so that shift from geosciences into ministry was actually, I think, a fairly fairly natural one hmm. because the, the subject matter may have changed, but kind of the process behind it for me, that helping people figure out how to take their next step uh, was just kind of naturally something that came along with it. So the teaching of geology and the teaching of theology, the subject matter was different, but that idea of helping people kind of understand and take a next step forward, that, that remained the same. It did, at least, at least for me. I mean, so that's, that's one thing I think, you know, when we think about people in the, uh, the science community, I, I think some people have this idea that every, everybody's kind of the same. Everybody has the same desire, the same goal. And man, there's such a diversity of interest, talent, um, ability, passion when it comes to the sciences. And it shouldn't surprise us in kind of any uh, any vocation, you're going to find that kind of diversity. And, and it definitely was true in the geosciences. And it turns out it's the same thing when it comes to ministry. Hmm. So, hey, from from your background, not just as a theologian and pastor and, and someone who help, likes to coach next step following Jesus, but also drawing on some of your background as a geologist, we've got this rock in the Holy Land somewhere, and it's being yeah. set up as a memorial by Samuel. Yeah. Uh, Samuel is the one who will anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and then also anoint David. So this is the last of Judges, the first of the prophets. Samuel is kind of that bridge character. But he sets up the stone. What's going on? What kind of stone am I thinking? What, what am I imagining when, it, when we talk about this Ebenezer? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. Turns out that there's, uh, there's nothing mentioned in, in Scripture about, like, what type of rock uh, anything actually is when a rock is, is mentioned. So it's, it's not like the Ebenezer helping stone. It's identified as a limestone, though it definitely could have been. And, and I actually wonder if it wasn't maybe a limestone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever gone up into northern Michigan, chances are you probably discovered limestones up there. Hmm. Uh, so something like a Petoskey stone. Hmm. Uh, or if you've gone up into the Upper Peninsula and you climbed Castle Rock, uh, that's that's limestone. It tends to, when it breaks and you find a piece laying around, it tends to kind of be big and chunky. And, um, and it actually breaks in kind of flat surfaces. So when you're trying to find a rock that might be easy to, uh, to stack or to stack something on, uh, limestone would do the trick. Turns out the Holy Land has a ton of limestone. Mm. Uh, that's understating it. I mean, there's limestone everywhere. Hmm. 
could have been sandstone. There's a, a fair bit of that around as well. Um, and there's places where you can find kind of volcanic igneous rock, uh, like like granite uh, or basalt, if uh, if you if you like rock types, uh, even some metamorphic rocks. Now, metamorphic rocks; those are the those are the stones that turn into butterflies. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, those are those are stones that uh, that have been heated and squeezed pretty substantially. Mm. So, uh, if you've got countertops at home that have kind of a swirling look to them, mm. chances are they might they might actually be made out of metamorphic rock. Yeah, you've got the Jordan River Valley, and you've Jerusalem is in the mountains there. The hill country of Judea, the flatlands where the, the Philistines are from. These Philistines are flatlanders yeah. as it goes down to the Mediterranean. It seems to me there there's a lot of different kinds of rock in the Holy Land. Is that right? Yeah, there sure is, and uh, and a lot of that's owed to the fact that it's it's a tectonically active area. Um, mm. So there's, there's a lot of movement under the ground. Uh, most of it, most of it, you know, you'd never even notice. Uh, every once in a while you do when an earthquake happens. Um, but, but you've got some, you've got some movement of, uh, of plates within the earth. And so you've got a, a Jordan River Valley there for a reason. Uh, hmm. you've, got, you've got land that's actually slowly moving um, and you get rift valleys where, where land's kind of pulling apart a little bit, right? You end up with kind of a depression there. Uh, so, so it's a really tectonically active area. Uh, that also means you're going to move, move a bit of rock. So you can, you can find lots of different rock types around. I wonder when the text talks about God thundering, I wonder, there's other places where it talks about earthquakes. Yeah, absolutely. And God working through, in with and under natural means. I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that thundering was in the sky or in the ground or, or both. That's it a great caused question. panic, what, whatever it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so I, I was trying to remember other places in the Bible where, where rocks were important to the story. So I guess sitting with this one in First Samuel, it, it strikes me that Samuel is setting up this rock, and the rock is serving a function. Now, how, how would you describe the function of that rock in this story? It's a rock of remembering. So there's, there's a name and Yahweh's activity sort of attached to it, but it's, mm. this, uh, it's this stone or rock that's set up, uh, I think, first and foremost, to remember the, you know, the mighty deeds of Yahweh that happened in that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's this stone of remembering. I think that's, uh, that's pretty significant. I think that's fan, that's fascinating about rocks. Rocks help us remember a lot. And so, uh, you know, when, when you maybe go on a hike up a mountain, you might put a rock on the collection where other people have placed rocks. So we sometimes call them carns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's an individual thing. So you remember something about that moment. Uh, you remember and you have a reason why you chose that rock. But other people see it and other people wonder. And, and I think that's what's going on here. So Samuel chose that rock for a reason. He set it up. He remembered something. Uh, so there was meaning attached to it. Uh, there, there was the story of what Yahweh had done there. But it, but it also served as a way to invite others to consider what had happened. And, and rocks are enduring. So I think, you know, when, when Samuel chooses this rock, there's an expectation probably there that this is going to stay. Uh, it's going to be something. I, I can't imagine you put a pebble on the ground. Yeah, right, right. right. I, I think he found a big rock. Yeah. I mean, a big rock. Yeah. Because he wants it to last. Rocks are enduring. And and it does become, as your your piece you just read, a, a, a signpost, um, a milestone, a mile marker, something like that. Mm-hmm. You can uh, you can almost gauge yourself by it. And and it leads to the telling of the story, the remembering. Yeah. Yeah, I totally could imagine him like lifting this big slab of limestone up and and yeah. and just trying to to imagine what that would be like. Like you're giving directions. You go three miles and then you turn you turn north at the Ebenezer, and, yeah. and then you go a little further. And you know, I mean, it's, it becomes a part of the 
the geography of the Holy Land proclaims this history of the deeds of Yahweh. He shows up. You can see Mount Carmel over there. You can see the Jordan River and the Jordan River Valley over there. You can see the Kidron Valley or, or, or Temple Mount. The Holy Land's geography tells the story of God's actions with his people. You know, when you were talking, Matt, about setting it up for the purpose of remembering, that definitely reminds me of uh, of a story, another story in the Bible, earlier in the in the story, where Joshua is leading the people of God across the Jordan River. And if you remember, it's Yahweh that says to Joshua, go choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priests are standing. So remember the Jordan's at flood stream. This is kind of like the crossing of the Red Sea in miniature. And I love the fact that that, that they get the people ready and the, the river is uncrossable. It's going to wipe them away. It's going to kill them. And as soon as their f- ankles get in the water, the priests carrying the, the Ark of the covenant, the the sign and the presence of Yahweh with God's people, as soon as the priests step into the water, then and only then the river backs up and they cross over just like the Red Sea under Moses on dry ground. It took a step of faith. God was walking with them and it didn't happen until they stepped into the water. But but then the, the priests stand in the middle of the Jordan River while all the people walk past the Ark of the Covenant and the priests holding it. And then these 12 guys are supposed to go right to where those priests were standing and tell, take 12 stones, put them on their shoulder, and then take them with them where they camped for the night and set up, well, a, a memorial. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And, and I love, here, this verse is, this is uh, Joshua 4, verse 5. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the mm. flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. Yeah, that that's big. You know, it makes me think, actually. Uh, so they carried them on their shoulders. I mean, these these must have been big rocks. Mm-hmm. So so talk about a talk about a moment of faith. You got water piled up on both sides of you, and you put a rock in your shoulder. if that water lets loose man uh i don't want to be holding that rock or i'm gonna be i'm gonna be sunk on the bottom yeah Yeah. but they they're they're big and they serve as they serve as that sign and there's that future looking kind of enduring thing about about rocks yeah yeah and i can imagine you know the kid saying so dad tell me the story again about that what's that pillar what's that about over there yeah and we we naturally do that, don't we? I, I just I think about my childhood. My grandfather had a had a big rock, big big piece of granite that came from his field, hmm. and he had it he had it up in uh, in his front yard. And us kids, we'd we'd go out, and we'd climb on it, and we would have fun on it. But but inevitably, Grandpa would come out, and we would ask him for stories, and hmm. he would tell us a story that was attached to something about that that old rock, uh, whether it was the person who helped him haul it out of the field or. Uh, you know, whatever it was, there was memory attached to it, and hmm. um, and that's that's so significant. I suppose I suppose Yahweh could have said, uh, "Remember these these words about mm-hmm. this day," but mm-hmm. He said, "Carry this thing that's tangible. It's part of creation. It's part of my provision for you, and uh, and take them uh, to remember." So I I love how stones are a reminder, at least there for me, of how God loves His creation and He loves hmm. to be with us in creation. Well, there's a lot there. 
I remember some rock stories from when I was growing up too. You know, we go out to the farm and there was the big rock pile and they would tell mm-hmm. us stories yeah. about yeah. clearing those rocks out of the farm field and, and what yep. would I, what the, the stories of what happened then. Or uh, grandma had a, a display case and in it were some corn dolls that somebody had made for her, but also arrowheads that they had found in the field too. So these stones that endured, that spoke of another culture of a people that had been there and then finding them, the whole experience of my grandparents and their friends getting passed on, the stories and that connection to the land, to the rocks, to the God of creation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It strikes me that these kind of signposts, like a historical marker, a historical marker says, at this place, this thing actually happened. And uh, I think the stone of remembering here, this this stone of help, performs that, that kind of historical marker function too. On this physical place, God showed up and was present for his people. Absolutely, yeah. Reminds me of that story in, in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah's on, on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. It's that moment where... He builds an altar to the Lord, uh, and he and he douses the sacrifice he puts on it with water, and uh, and it's this impossible impossible scene, complete dependence on Yahweh. It says that he he takes twelve stones yeah. uh, again, just like uh, just like we talked about with with the Jordan River and with Joshua bringing those twelve stones out. Elijah takes those twelve stones and one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, and mm-hmm. uh, and there's remembering there. So there's. I mean, think about what Elijah must have been remembering as he set those 12, those 12 stones up on that altar. The Exodus, the crossing of the Jordan, Jericho. I mean, the, the stories of Yahweh's mighty acts of deliverance. After all that, why not? Why not come and, and show up on Mount Carmel? Hmm. I mean, this is what Yahweh does. And uh, it turns out there he actually burns the stones up as well. That's right. Yeah, and and the water and the the, the sacrifice and the wood and the the, the yeah, water everything. from the trench and the stones yeah. and the dust. I mean, this yeah. is, he shows up big time. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Those stones become important signs of God's presence, a, a memorial, a signpost right here. That I mean, this happened right here. Yeah, absolutely. There's remembering, there's protection. Mm. Uh, makes me think about stories where people like, like David hid in rocks, right, for protection. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of building, like like building the temple. A cornerstone is, is, is useful for that. Uh, so, so rocks can be used for building. And, uh, and rocks can be used to help build, right? They can be fashioned and, and used for tools. So there's intentionality here. God's telling them to, to remember uh, and the people who set these stones up are actually remembering. So it's not just the kind of the usefulness of the stone. It's actually the remembering of the story that's attached to them. Yeah. It's remembering the mighty acts of Yahweh, whether it's the temple or whether it's a, a foundation stone or it's a, a place of protection or it's a, a tool, whatever it is. It's a place of remembering, which which actually leads me, Justin, to real quick remember, you know, there's a cemetery up north where my grandparents are, are hmm. buried and there's there's tombstones there. Mm. They're enduring stones, and, and they've been there a long time, and they've got scripture verses on there, mm. remembering the, the words of God. Hmm. 
But as you're talking, I was I was thinking of Ephesians 2 as well. Ephesians 2, Paul's talking about those who are far off being brought near, and and he gets he gets closer and closer. They they used to not be people, now they're people. They used to be outsiders, now they're a part of the family. They're no longer foreigners and strangers. They become fellow citizens with God's yeah. people. And and then this beautiful image, it, they get so close that God builds them together as as a temple. That's that's yeah. Paul's language in, in Ephesians 2. And of course, you would expect this. The foundation is actually the apostles, but but it's Christ Jesus himself who's the chief cornerstone. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the, the rock on which this whole temple is built. But then we're living stones built into this temple. And what happens? God shows up. We're being yeah. built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. The people become stones, living stones, and God yeah. shows up, touches human creation. Your life becomes a signpost to people, a memorial, a, a place of remembering. Uh, you have scripture in your heart and on your lips. You become a place where the transcendent God touches his creation and, and is present with people. This The stuff of your ordinary everyday life becomes a signpost of God's activity. Mm. Hey, in this chapter, there's a, a faith experiment as well. It's on page 100 and 101. You can see this big, I'm imagining that's a big limestone slab that somebody stood up. And it talks about kind of four different parts of that stone to, to draw your own kind of story of God helping you in the past, of God coming through for you, of God showing up, and you and you knew God was a God who saved, and, and how telling that story might be a way of sharing God's presence with people around you. And I was just wondering if, if you were going to do an, a faith experiment like this, Matt, is there a story in your past, a story you would share with your kids that you would put up on a, a limestone rock like that? Man, I've got probably way too many to share with you, um, but, a, but a couple that are actually, I, I think, probably connected to rock, since, since we're talking about rocks anyway, uh, that, I, that I would share. I don't know, it's not hugely significant, but I've got a, uh, I've got a piece of granite from, from Mount Marcy, which is uh, the tallest peak in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. I went hiking there one day with a good friend of mine, still lives in Michigan, and, and we see each other every once in a while and, and do some winter hiking. And uh, when my friend and I were hiking up in the, the Adirondacks, um, we were there in the summertime, and, and Mount Marcy is treeless on the top. It's bald. It's above tree line. And we got up there, beautiful day, and a cloud rolled in like as soon as we got up to the top. And then another cloud, another cloud, and all of a sudden, we hear thunder, and we're, we're on top of a mountain with no trees. <laughs> So, so I, I grabbed a rock and we ran <laughs> and we, we were just back to tree line when it opened up. It was a severe thunderstorm and it was dangerous. I mean, there was lightning hitting everywhere. We were getting pelted by hail. Uh, my friend slipped in the kind of torrential rain that was coming down the, the side of the mountain. Uh, it was flowing over some rocks and he slipped on those rocks huh. and, and we thought he had hurt himself pretty badly. Uh, we escaped and realized how, how fortunate we were. Uh, Yahweh, our helper, uh, was on that mountain with us, kind of leading us down. You know, it's not a, it, it's not like saving me from the jaws of a lion or something like that. But uh, but it was one of those moments that I think we take for granted that that we have a we have a God who is present with us even when we're on the side of a mountain just enjoying a summertime hike. And I get you know I can share that with my kids, and I can actually pull out something that that shows them. 
Well, I love that. I love that, Matt, that you've got yeah. a, a rock, a tangible rock from yeah. that experience. You can you can say to your yeah. kids, I remember that time when, when Yahweh yeah. thundered with a great thunder and we were thrown yeah, into absolutely. panic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and he showed up to save. He sure did. Yeah. And uh, it turns out he provided a, a dryer at the end of the experience to get all the water of our clothes. <laughs> when it, was, it, was, it was a rough day. Uh, can, I, can I share one more? Oh, yeah, please. So, so this one, uh, this one comes from from a ministry context, uh, which which I know uh, a lot of people would identify. Whether you're a church worker or uh, or or you belong to a church, sometimes life in the church is is not easy. Uh, it can be could be challenging relationally or for any other number of reasons. Went through a pretty pretty rough time in in ministry, and God had given me a, a partner in ministry to walk alongside with me. He held me up in prayer, uh, was a support and encouragement to me. And, and when I was actually leaving that congregation in Wisconsin to come to Michigan to start at a new church, he gave me a gift and it was a, a piece of rock. It was actually a, a slab of salt. Hmm. So, so it was rock salt. And uh, when he gave it to me, he said, hey, I want you to have this to remind you that, you know, when you were here, uh, you, were, you were the salt of the earth, just like Jesus promised in, in Matthew's gospel. What you did mattered. What an encouragement that was hmm. for me especially coming out of a really challenging time. But I got to say this, when people see that in my office and they ask me about it, I'm not only able to tell them, you know, about that scripture passage and how significant that is for me. I'm actually able to then start talking about how Jesus delivered me out of a, a pretty challenging period because I had a partner and, and I had somebody who was on my rope, so to speak, who was lifting me up, who picked me up when I fell down, who was supporting me. And, uh, and I didn't have to journey through that alone. And he was the salt of the earth for me. And, and that piece of salt that sits in my office is kind of just like this handle. When people say, what is this? I get to tell the story. And it, it was simple. He was just doing what a disciple of Jesus is called to do in a very ordinary way. But I get to tell that story and I get to remember and honor what he did for me. And what a precious gift that uh, I get to share with others that was first given to me. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think it captures that communal aspect of it as well that's implied in our text because when you set up that memorial there's going to be the question what's it for it's definitely clearly and explicitly there in the joshua text and it's a part of our lives as as followers of jesus god has rescued you jesus has saved you and that story the way he's active in your life becomes a memorial stone for you but also for the people around you this is a we like to say we follow jesus better when we follow him together and mm, I think this yeah. rock points me to that again as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Matt, thanks so much for your for your rock expertise, but also for your yeah. heart for following Jesus. I really appreciated uh, spending some time with you. I was, I was wondering, you, you talked about coaching people uh, in taking a next step following Jesus. Is there anything that came out of our discussion today, the, the verses we read or, or what we talked about? Is there anything that kind of you can sense is a next step that Jesus might be inviting you to take? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's it's probably from the uh, it's probably from the side of uh, you know, you know, if I were in the tribe of, of Israel and uh, Samuel was was getting up there in age, I'd probably be one of the young whippersnappers in, in this next step, uh, going to Samuel to ask questions about that mm. that that Ebenezer, that rock, or going to Joshua, or or maybe you know uh, someone who came after him to say, what does this mean? Um, so my next step, Justin, I think uh, I'm entering into a new context. And I've got an opportunity to ask people about Yahweh, their helper, 
and, and and what God's done for them in this new context at New Life Community Church. And I want to ask those questions. Maybe it'll involve rocks, maybe it won't, but but I think that's a real privilege that we have and we often don't take is to ask people to remember and to tell the stories about Jesus' faithfulness in the past as a springboard uh, for joining him in his mission in the future. Amen to that. Well, God bless those conversations, Matt, as you explore the uh, the Ebenezer's around yeah. the greater Flint area Thanks. in your new ministry context. Yeah. Thanks, friend, for being with us today. So, so much appreciate your time. Absolutely. That was Pastor Matt Hine from New Life Community Lutheran Church up near Flint, Michigan. Man, do I love talking to Matt about following Jesus. Matt's one of the reasons I like to say we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. Today, we'd like to especially recognize the support of two of our Next Step patrons, Judy and Joan. Joan and Judy are sisters, and we're so thankful for their support. We're thankful that they value what we're doing here at Next Step Press. If you'd like to become a Next Step patron, you can check out the link in our description. you also find a link to a video tutorial where our lead illustrator, Valerie Matthias, walks you through her experience with the faith experiment from this chapter. I'll let you know how the COVID testing goes and if I get to preach at Matt's installation or not. But until then, remember that you are a living stone, a real Eben Eitzer, a memorial. You have God's word on your hearts and on your lips. Your life is a place where the transcendent God touches creation. As you share those stories of God helping in your life, as you ask questions of other people to share their stories of Jesus' faithfulness in the past, those stories become a springboard for joining Jesus on his mission in the future. Thank you that you share your stories of faith with the people around you. We'd love to hear from you here at Next Step Press. So drop us a line, send us an email, post on our Facebook page, or join our Facebook group. We'd love to see what Jesus is up to in your life as we encourage other people to take a next step. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.